Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 72, Should Not the Heavens Weep. Hello, everyone. So I'm going to start off by telling you about my tongue. <laughs> if that's not a weird start, I don't know what else I would say. But on Saturday, I went and I rode the train up to Salt Lake City with my family just for fun. And then we stopped at a hamburger restaurant. And at that hamburger restaurant, I bit my tongue. But I didn't just bite my tongue regular. I bit my tongue so hard that I cried. <laughs> and the reason I'm telling you this is because it's slightly hard. I'm getting a little better. But my tongue was so swollen that it was resting between my teeth. And I had a lovely little lisp for a couple of days. Now, right now, I can now kind of control the lip, lisp and force myself not to have one. So I'm hoping I can make it through this episode and just sound normal. But if I have an occasional lisp, I'm not going to try and fix it. So that's what that is. All right, moving on from my tongue. This week, we are continuing the story of Enoch. And just like I said last week, it is such a beautiful story. I'm actually going to read and comment on a big chunk of it because no summary I possibly could give could do it justice. In chapter 7, we pick up where we left off last week, and Enoch is continuing to preach the things that the Lord taught Adam, and Adam taught Enoch and his fathers. And as he was traveling, he had an experience again where the Lord spoke to him, telling him to go to the Mount Simeon. In verse 3 it says, And it came to pass that I turned and went upon the mount, and as I stood upon the mount, I beheld the heavens open, and I was clothed upon with glory. I love that Enoch says that in a way that implies that he immediately turned from the direction that he was traveling and went up to the mount. And what does it mean that he was clothed upon with glory? He was transfigured, meaning his physical body was changed in some way so that he could bear the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, And I saw the Lord, and he stood before my face, and he talked with me, even as a man talketh one with another face to face. And he said unto me, Look, and I will show unto thee the world for the space of many generations. He then sees the people of Shem gathered in the valley of Shem and the people of Canaan living in the north. The next part is so interesting to me. The Lord doesn't just tell Enoch about what is about to happen. The Lord says to him, prophesy. And he does. And I don't have an answer for this, but why would the Lord tell him to prophesy as opposed to just tell him what's going on? Enoch prophesies a bunch of things about what will happen between the people and the wars that they will fight. And he also sees the Lord commanding him to go to the people and to tell them to repent and that he should go baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So in this vision, as Enoch went on his mission, he gathered a people. Now, before I read this next part, I want you guys to remember what we know about what will eventually happen with the people of God that are here on the earth now before the second coming. It is said in Doctrine and Covenants, section 45, verses 69 through 70, And there shall be gathered unto it out of every nation under heaven, and it shall be the only people that shall not be at war one with another. And it shall be said among the wicked, Let us not go up to battle against Zion, for the inhabitants of Zion are terrible, wherefore we cannot stand. Okay, so with that in mind, listen to how similar that sounds to this society that is under the leadership of Enoch. Starting in verse 13, it says, And so great was the faith of Enoch, that he led the people of God, and their enemies came to battle against them. And he spake the word of the Lord, and the earth trembled, and the mountains fled, even according to his command. 
and the rivers of waters turned out of their course, and the roar of lions was heard out of the wilderness, and all nations feared greatly. So powerful was the word of Enoch, and so great was the power of the language which God had given him. There also came up a land out of the depth of the sea, and so great was the fear of the enemies of the people of God, that they fled and stood afar off, and went upon the land which came up out of the depth of the sea. And the giants of the land, which I read probably means like tall people, also stood afar off, and there went forth a curse upon all people that fought against God. And from that time forth there were wars and bloodshed among them. But the Lord came and dwelt with his people, and they dwelt in righteousness. The fear of the Lord was upon all nations. So great was the glory of the Lord, which was upon his people. And the Lord blessed the land, and they were blessed upon the mountains, and upon the high places, and did flourish. And the Lord called his people Zion, because they were of one heart and one mind, and dwelt in righteousness, and there was no poor among them. Okay, so this beautiful society has gathered. The Lord dwelt with them, which means that they will have to have been transfigured in order to bear the presence of the Lord. And even though war was all around them, the wicked people didn't dare come near. And as I was reading this, I was just filled with such peace and wonder. The Lord had them. Of course, there are plenty of righteous people who have lived on the earth, live on the earth now, and will live on the earth in the future that will have some really terrible things happen to them in this life. But this is an example of the power of the Lord, and it's so comforting. His Zion people, his people that was of one heart, of one mind, they were protected by the Lord, and he was perfectly capable to do that. The Lord is in control of all things. And in this instance, this city was so righteous, so perfectly dwelling in righteousness that the city was protected and made great and terrible to the people all around them that were fighting wars with everyone else because that was the will of the Lord. And actually something I'm kind of wondering while I'm here, this is me kind of just thinking aloud, but a little later in this chapter, the Lord said that, or the scriptures say, that the Lord could not withhold from promising Enoch this something that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. What if, what if when there's a Zion people, a people that is truly of one heart, of one mind, there are no poor among them. What if the Lord cannot withhold from protecting a gathering of people like that? I don't know. I don't know. But that's just something interesting to think about. When a Zion society is truly created like that, are they protected? Can the Lord withhold from protecting them? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's just something to think about. So after the Lord protected the city by having his presence be there and having Enoch speak in a language that was so pure and powerful that the the mountains fled and the the rivers turned coarse. It says in verse 19 that Enoch continued his preaching in righteousness unto the people of God. It says, And it came to pass in his days that he built a city that was called the city of holiness, even Zion. So now we officially have the city of Zion on the earth, the city of Enoch. The next question that Enoch asks during this vision where he's seeing all of these things happen, these future events. Now remember, he's, we're not talking about they're happening right now. They're happening in Enoch's vision that he's seeing of the future. The next question that he asks is so tender. He says to the Lord, Surely Zion shall dwell in safety forever. 
But the Lord said unto Enoch, Zion I have blessed, but the residue of the people I have cursed. And then Enoch witnesses the future of the people outside of the city of Zion, and it is very gut-wrenching. First, happily, he has shown that in time, the city of Zion was taken up to the Lord, meaning that the entire city is translated and brought to live with the Lord. But Enoch sees all the nations of the earth and several generations pass and he sees angels descending out of heaven to observe the people and he sees Satan and listen to this imagery. And he beheld Satan and he had a great chain in his hand and it veiled the whole face of the earth with darkness. And he looked up and laughed and his angels rejoiced. But the people weren't left alone. The Lord kept trying. Verse 27, And Enoch beheld angels descending out of heaven, bearing testimony of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, fell on many, and they were caught up by the powers of heaven into Zion. Isn't that cool? So more people accepted the message that the angels brought, that the Holy Ghost confirmed to their hearts, and they were able to join Zion in heaven. Verse 28, And it came to pass that the God of heaven looked upon the residue of the people, and he wept. And Enoch bore record of it. God wept. If there ever was a more validating scripture, mourning is a Christ-like attribute. He has done everything that he can for them, sent angels down to testify to them. And even though he knows it's part of the plan, even though he knows that he gave them agency, which would eventually lead for some to the sad end, but still he wept. I think that we all can think of people that we feel like we've done everything we can for or are in the process of doing what we can for. And we just want to maintain this happy optimism that everything will work out because you trust the Lord. And while I think that it's important to maintain that optimism, that the Lord knows what he's doing with the people in your life. Mourning and weeping is part of loving those people. While we can't let that mourning We shouldn't let that mourning paralyze us forever or let it keep us from doing what he needs us to keep doing. It is part of our divine nature to love and grief is a natural part of love. Our Lord, he loves us. He loves these people. And so he wept. So Enoch sees the Lord weeping and he asks, how is it that the heavens weep and shed forth their tears as rain upon the mountains? How is it that thou canst weep, seeing that thou art holy and from all eternity to all eternity? And were it possible that man could number the particles of the earth, yea, millions of earths like this, it would not be a beginning to the number of thy creations. And thy curtains are stretched out still, and yet thou art there, and thy bosom is there. And also thou art just, and thou art merciful and kind forever. And thou hast taken Zion to thine own bosom, from all thy creations, from all eternity to all eternity, and not but peace, justice, and truth is the habitation of thy throne, and mercy shall go before thy face and have no end. How is it that thou canst weep? And the Lord said unto Enoch, Behold, these thy brethren, they are the workmanship of mine own hands. Guys, the Lord loves us so much. You are the workmanship of his hands. You are important to him. Your future is important to him. And I think what he mourns the most is when we fail to reach for him, 
when He is so willing and available to help us and send us help, and when He has already paid for it all. The Lord continues, And I gave unto them their knowledge. In the day I created them, and in the Garden of Eden gave I unto man his agency. And unto thy brethren have I said, and also given commandment, that they should love one another, and that they should choose me and their father. But behold, they are without affection, and they hate their own blood. Then he proclaims that he is going to send the great flood. Doesn't this make the story of Noah so much more tender as we read about what a heart-wrenching decision this was for the Lord? He continues, Behold, I am God. Man of holiness is my name. Man of counsel is my name. And endless and eternal is my name also. Wherefore, I can stretch forth mine hands and hold all the creations which I have made. And mine eye can pierce them also. And among all the workmanship of mine hands, there has not been so great wickedness as among thy brethren. But behold, their sins shall rest upon the heads of their fathers. Satan shall be their father, and misery shall be their doom. And the whole heavens shall weep over them, even all the workmanship of mine hands. Wherefore should not the heavens weep, seeing these shall suffer? Should not the heavens weep, seeing these shall suffer? It's kind of like the Lord is a little at a loss with Enoch's question. Like he's saying, why wouldn't I weep? Seeing that my beautiful, loved, valued creations will suffer. Verse 38, But behold, these which thine eyes are upon shall perish in the floods. And behold, I will shut them up. A prison have I prepared for them, which we know will have missionary work in it. So there's still hope. Remember in this next part especially, but throughout this whole story, that Jehovah is the one who is speaking, and Jehovah is the premortal Jesus Christ. He's speaking with divine investiture, investiture, that's a hard word, as if he were God. So it gets a little confusing because he's talking specifically about the Savior as if he wasn't the Savior himself because he is speaking as if he is God. So a little confusing. But listen to how beautiful. It is a very poignant visual of the Savior actually pleading for these people because he suffered for their sins. Verse 39, And that which I have chosen hath pled before my face. So who's chosen? Jesus Christ. So the Lord has chosen Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And that which I have chosen hath pled before my face. Wherefore he suffereth for their sins, inasmuch as they will repent in the day that my chosen shall return unto me. And until that day they shall be in torment. Wherefore, for this shall the heavens weep, yea, and all the workmanship of mine hands. And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Enoch, and told Enoch all the doings of the children of men. Wherefore Enoch knew. I love that phrase. Enoch knew. He started out questioning, why would the Lord weep? But then he was shown their wickedness, and it says that he knew. What exactly does it mean that he knew? Does it mean that he understood the tragedy of it all? He understood the Lord's love for all these people? Is it that he knew that this consequence must be? It continues saying that Enoch looked upon their wickedness and their misery and wept and stretched forth his arms, and his heart swelled wide as eternity, and his bowels yearned, and all eternity shook. So, We've gone all the way from Enoch questioning the Lord 
why are you weeping? To Enoch himself weeping. It seems as though Enoch experienced some small version of understanding and knowledge of what the Savior knew and understood. What does it mean when it says his bowels yearned? Or in other places in the scriptures where it's talking about a different story, but it says that that his bowels were filled with compassion. What does that mean? Historically, it means where your tender and sympathetic emotions live. So remembering that, listen to it again. Enoch looked upon their wickedness and their misery and wept and stretched forth his arms and his heart swelled wide as eternity and his bowels yearned and all eternity shook. Verse 42, And Enoch also saw Noah and his family, that the posterity of all the sons of Noah should be saved with a temporal salvation. Wherefore Enoch saw that Noah built an ark, and that the Lord smiled upon it and held it in his own hand. But upon the residue of the wicked the floods came and swallowed them up. Again, we see another example of the Lord taking who he has gathered and holding it in his hand, protecting them perfectly. But even though Enoch just saw Noah's family being preserved, he was still stuck on the tragedy of of all of it, of all of the people being destroyed. Verse 44, And as Enoch saw this, he had bitterness of soul and wept over his brethren, and said unto the heavens, I will refuse to be comforted. I will refuse to be comforted. Have you ever felt like that? But the Lord said unto Enoch, Lift up your heart and be glad and look. And it came to pass that Enoch looked, and from Noah he beheld all the families of the earth. As Enoch sees all the families of the earth, after he's just seen so much death and destruction and wickedness, he wants so much for the redemptive part of the plan to come into play. It says, And he cried unto the Lord, saying, When shall the day of the Lord come? When shall the blood of the righteous, meaning the Savior, be shed, that all they that mourn may be sanctified and have eternal life? And the Lord answered with a prophecy, verse 46, And the Lord said, It shall be in the meridian of time, in the days of the wicked and vengeance. And behold, Enoch saw the day of the coming of the Son of Man, even in the flesh. And his soul rejoiced, saying, The righteous is lifted up, and the Lamb is slain from the foundation of the world. And through faith I am in the bosom of the Father, and behold, Zion is with me. So he sees this beautiful plan coming to life. The Savior came. A perfect sacrifice was made. Next we hear Enoch beautifully personify the earth. And it came to pass that Enoch looked upon the earth, and he heard a voice from the bowels thereof, saying, Woe, woe is me, the mother of men. I am pained, I am weary because of the wickedness of my children. When shall I rest and be cleansed from the filthiness which has gone forth out of me? When will my Creator sanctify me, that I may rest, and the righteousness for a season abide upon my face? And when Enoch heard the earth mourn, he wept and cried unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, wilt thou not have compassion upon the earth? Wilt thou not bless the children of Noah? And it came to pass that Enoch continued his cry unto the Lord, saying, I ask thee, O Lord, in the name of thy only begotten, even Jesus Christ, that thou wilt have mercy upon Noah and his seed, that the earth might never more be covered by the floods. And the Lord could not withhold. And he covenanted with Enoch and swear unto him an oath that he would stay the floods, that he would call upon the children of Noah. I love that. It says the Lord could not withhold. 
Is that because of the faith of Enoch? Is it kind of the same thing that we talked about a little bit before, where Enoch's heart was so pure and so righteous that the Lord couldn't help but but covenant with him, that, that the Lord could not withhold from making that covenant with Enoch that he requested? Did it mean that the Lord had such compassion on Enoch that he wanted to comfort him with this promise? I don't know exactly what the reason is, but I love that it says the Lord could not withhold. Verse 52, And he sent forth an unalterable decree that a remnant of his seed should always be found among all nations while the earth should stand. So Noah's descendants are here on the earth today. Maybe I'm a descendant. Maybe you are, according to this unalterable decree. Enoch again feels such sympathy and compassion for the earth. Verse 54, And it came to pass that Enoch cried unto the Lord, saying, When the Son of Man cometh in the flesh, shall the earth rest? I pray thee, show me these things. Next, Enoch sees the crucifixion of the Lord. Verse 55, And the Lord said unto Enoch, Look. And he looked and beheld the Son of Man lifted up on the cross after the manner of men. And he heard a loud voice, and the heavens were veiled, and all the creations of God mourned, and the earth groaned, and the rocks were rent. And the saints arose and were crowned at the right hand of the Son of Man with crowns of glory. And as many of the spirits as were in prison came forth, and stood on the right hand of God, and the remainder were reserved in chains of darkness until the judgment of that great day. Isn't that cool? So it sounds like those that even were killed in the, the floods of Noah and went to spirit prison, some of them were released and sent to be on the right hand of God. So that missionary work that was done in spirit prison obviously had something going on there. So after seeing this, Enoch still feels so much. Verse 58, And again Enoch wept and cried unto the Lord, saying, When shall the earth rest? And Enoch beheld the Son of Man ascend up unto the Father, and he called unto the Lord, saying, Wilt thou not come again upon the earth? It's almost as if he's pleading, saying, Please, you're coming back, right? He continues to plead with the Lord to give him answers. He says, For as much as thou art God, and I know thee, and thou hast sworn unto me, and commanded me, that I should ask in the name of thine only begotten. Thou hast made me, and given unto me a right to thy throne, and not of myself, but through thine own grace. Wherefore I ask thee, if thou wilt not come again on the earth. And the Lord said unto Enoch, As I live, even so I will come in the last days, in the days of wickedness and vengeance, to fulfill the oath which I have made unto you concerning the children of Noah. And the day shall come that the earth shall rest. So that's the thousand years of peace that we'll have after the second coming of Jesus Christ. But before that day, the heavens shall be darkened, and a veil of darkness shall cover the earth, and the heavens shall shake, and also the earth, and great tribulation shall be among the children of men, but my people will I preserve. And righteousness will I send down out of heaven, and truth will I send forth out of the earth to bear testimony of mine only begotten, his resurrection from the dead, Yea, and also the resurrection of all men, and righteousness and truth will I cause to sweep the earth as a flood, to gather out mine elect from the four quarters of the earth, unto a place which I shall prepare, an holy city, that my people may gird up their loins, and be looking forth for the time of my coming, for there shall be my tabernacle, and it shall be called Zion, a new Jerusalem. Isn't it amazing that we have this ancient prophet weeping and pleading for us? Please 
Say you're coming back, right? And guys, he, our Lord, is coming back. He is. He promised. He said, as I live, even so, I will come in the last days. He then tells Enoch about his part in those last days. Verse 63, And the Lord said unto Enoch, Then shalt thou and all thy city meet them there, and we will receive them into our bosom, and they shall see us, and we will fall upon their necks, and they shall fall upon our necks, and we will kiss each other. And there shall be mine abode, and it shall be Zion, which shall come forth out of all the creations which I have made. And for the space of a thousand years, the earth shall rest. And it came to pass that Enoch saw the day of the coming of the Son of Man in the last days, to dwell in the earth in righteousness for the space of a thousand years. But before that day, he saw great tribulations among the wicked. And he also saw the sea, that it was troubled, and men's hearts failing them, looking forth with fear for the judgments of the Almighty God which should come upon the wicked. We are here. We are in the midst of great tribulation among the wicked. We are in the midst of many hearts failing. But just like the Lord protected Enoch's Zion from the war surrounding them, the Lord will be with us in our Zion. Of course, eventually there will be the city of Zion, the new Jerusalem. But Zion is not only a place, it's a people. It says in this chapter that the Lord called his people Zion. Zion is in our wards and branches and families. And as we hopefully live worthy to be a Zion people, we are promised amazing things as a part of the house of Israel. Genesis 15.1, I am thy shield, thy exceedingly great reward. Genesis 12.2, I will make of thee a great nation. Exodus 3.7-8, I have surely seen the affliction of my people and have heard their cry, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them. Leviticus 26.12, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Third Nephi 24.10 I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Romans 11.2 God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Third Nephi 22.10 My kindness shall not depart from thee. Doctrine and Covenants 35.25 Israel shall be saved in mine own due time. Doctrine and Covenants 84.88 and whoso receiveth you, there will I be also, for I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand and on your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts, and mine angels round about you to bear you up. The Lord, he's got us. The more perfectly that we can grab onto that kind of faith, the kind of faith that Enoch had, the more fully that these promises can be fulfilled in our lives. Verse 67, And the Lord showed Enoch all things, even unto the end of the world, and he saw the day of the righteous, the hour of their redemption, and received a fullness of joy. And all the days of Zion, in the days of Enoch, were three hundred and sixty-five years. And Enoch and all his people walked with God, and he dwelt in the midst of Zion. And it came to pass that Zion was not, for God received it up into his own bosom. We are on the same path as the people of Enoch. The Lord yearns to gather us up in his arms, to pull us to perfect safety. His heart wants more than anything for us to choose him, to choose his plan, to choose his love. And I believe with all my heart that just as he mournfully weeps for those who are lost, he joyfully weeps for us as we choose the grand 
perfect and complete plan that will fill all the painful holes that we have in our hearts today and bring us where our spirits yearn to be, which is with Him, with our families, eternally and joyfully becoming who He knows that we can be. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.